Ten people who speak make more noise than ten thousand who are silent. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sawson behind the scenes. This quote leads us into a roundtable discussion today with previous guests Mark Amick and Carter Schmitz, where we really break down the golf swing and the training that goes behind it. Carter and Mark are golf avids and they've been super into the golf worlds, specifically Carter, who's launching an entire golf training program currently. And I just love their thought process on how to go about training a sport that seems to be so fragile and training a sport that seems to be so specific and how we can kind of take a step out of that specific and fragile approach and build resilient athletes. You watch the golf swing and you see the unbelievable amount of power that goes into hitting a golf ball at a high level. And then you see some of the training and Coach Carter talks about that where it's, they're doing clamshells as they're training for this 200 mile an hour golf club swing. And we're doing these rubber band exercises with 10 pounds. So we kind of talk about how to change that, how, how we go about training the golf world and why we feel like it's important to level up the human organism completely. I really enjoyed this podcast because we were able to dive into the specifics of the golf world, but it seems to me that there's specific principles that can be pulled apart and applied holistically. And that's what I tried to do throughout this conversation. I'm not a golfer and I'm not really into the golf world, but I love just watching movement and watching performers. And you hear some of the things that they coach Carter and uh, Mark talk about during this podcast. And you, you hear some of the topics that they go down and how we can grab pieces from that topic and then expand it holistically and kind of go about that way of expanding our knowledge base by listening to something that has nothing to do with your field. Golf and football are going to be two completely opposite fields of human performance. Yet you listen to the subjects that are brought up repeatedly and the training methods that are brought up repeatedly and how we can go about creating a training program. And there's so many things that you can take away from one specific field because you dove down and you're passionate about it and you can apply it to any field that you want to. Thank you guys for listening. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with a Yoakum Strength coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Marcus, you know what time it is. Hit that intro music. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, boys, welcome to the podcast. We got our first roundtable talk. We got three people on. Let's do it. Thanks for having us, my man. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Excited to chop it up. So we had both of you guys on the podcast previously in season two, first time on season three. So you're going to have to up your game a little bit. Season three is kind of the next level. But uh, do you want to tell the listeners, let's start with Mark, kind of where you've been since the last podcast, catch the people up on your lives and what what's kind of happening in your life right now? Yeah, so I'm, I think last time I was on... It was before I started my first round of my clinical internship phase of school. So, um, yeah, graduating chiropractic school here in December. I just uh, just finished my first big kind of community-based internship today, um, which was a great learning experience. I got to work with hundreds of patients over the last four months and, and get a lot of really good hands-on experience and then just uh, a lot of benefit from the uh, communication side and just working with a really cool diverse uh, population of people saw a ton of different cases unique cases and um, just a really cool cool opportunity so that was great and uh, some good classwork this semester and just things are starting to get a little bit more clinical and applicable and uh, it's just a really exciting time 
Yeah, just a couple months away from being Dr. Mark, which is going to be cool. That's going to be cool. Yeah, yeah, getting there. And nice spring to it. Oh, yeah, I know. Dr. Mark kind of sounds <laughs> smooth. And we then we, then we get to put you in the podcast title. Whenever we put, it's funny, when it's, yeah, whenever we put doctor in the podcast title, it gets at least 100 more views. It's super yep. funny. You put doctor anything and everybody's just listening in. There you go. There you go. That's that's the, the main reason to go get a doctorate nowadays. <laughs> so the podcast <laughs> listeners will come. So yep. Mark, with, the, with this about to become a doctor, I'm interested in what's some of the cool shit you've been learning about? Like what, what, what kind of, what are the rabbit holes you're currently in? What I know you did the yoga for 30 days straight. Maybe Mm -hmm. you just talk about, that's not so much school and, but maybe some of the life lessons learned through that, but what's some of the cool stuff that you're diving into that you think the listeners should probably be aware of and that you think can implement into their daily lives or we can implement with our, with our athletes right now. Yeah, I, there's there's uh, there's so many rabbit holes to go down, and I think that's been one of the the fun things of school is still having such a a broad curriculum and being able to just jump into you know one topic after the next. Um, I would say in this last last four months, you know, school's kind of taken me through different phases. I feel like throughout my learning, like um, and even some of the extra learning that I've been doing. You know, I started out and it was very. Uh, very rehab oriented. And, and you and I were reading the supple leopard and going through anatomy Tuesdays. And we were doing, you know, this, this entire, uh, entire rabbit hole of just kind of uh, uh, mobility and, and getting people out of pain in all these different ways. And then um, started to evolve a little bit more and, and, and going back into, um, you know, just overall health and wellness and the, the different principles throughout that. And I think in this last four months, I've kind of been diving into the the rabbit holes of just, uh, nutrition and, uh, kind of these modern day diseases. So that, that's been really interesting. I started reading some, some books that were more based on human evolution and kind of the modern day things we're seeing right now between obesity and diabetes and heart disease, and obviously everything tied into this pandemic this year. So I've kind of been in that rabbit hole, which has been super interesting and, and, kind of looking at it through a functional medicine approach. Um, obviously a lot of the patients that I've been working with, uh, in this internship, very, very diverse group, but, um, I started seeing so many people coming in the door with these underlying health conditions. They were very overweight. They were very, uh, very compromised, immunocompromised, and they were, uh, just living day-to-day life in a lot of pain and, and, so for me, it was trying to take my learning to the next level and be able to, you know, just educate these patients as much as I could, because I, I noticed that that was one of the big things was people coming into the clinic and just really not having a great sense of how to get their health and wellness under the con- their control. And, um, yeah, so I guess just trying to, uh, create some education with patients and trying to, to create some empowerment with them and just give them some little tricks and tools to, uh, to make some small, small changes and get some momentum going has been a, a big part of the last couple months. Yeah. And like you mentioned, like the, the education piece, and that's something that like when us three hang out with each other, it doesn't seem as obvious because we're always surrounding ourselves with people that are very conscious of it. But then, and I, I think about this all the time, like I go to my, my, my family members and I'm like, Oh my, like it, it the, the education piece is not there. Like we think it's there. We think this is all like, basic stuff. But like I relate it to it's like, if I were to have to go fix a car, like a mechanic would look at me if I went to go fix a car and be like, you're such a dumbass. Like this is so obvious. And that's kind of what the health profession does with how the body works. It's like, you're such a dumbass. You should know this. It's like, wait a minute. Like you would not know the same exact thing if it was somebody else's expertise. And the only reason you know this stuff is because it's your expertise. And we kind of push those thought processes on the other people and you kind of get disconnected from what's actually happening in the general public. Yeah. Yeah. That's very well said. I, I like the, uh, the mechanic, uh, comparison. Cause I think that's very true. It's just, um, and it's, it's basic stuff too. And it's, yeah, you, you kind of lose sight of it. I think when, you know, three of us have been studying this stuff for the past six, seven years and, and really going into it. And when people come in and you just give them, you know, basic, basic information and a light clicks with them. They're like, Oh, I've never heard that before. Like I, I didn't even know that, that, you know, I should be doing this or I should be watching, consuming all this sugar. Oh, I shouldn't drink soda. Like I didn't know that. I thought, you know, I'm trying to stay hydrated. It's just, it's, uh, it's been really interesting to see and very eye opening, And it's made me take a couple step backs, definitely in terms of 
the communication. I think it's easy for, for us to jump on podcasts like this and try to, to spew out as much knowledge and information as we can. But at the end of the day, to be able to relate it to patients or relate it to our athletes, you have to really dial things back and, and kind of hammer out some of the basics. And I'm sure you guys have seen that a lot too. Yep. And before, so the last couple of times Mark and I have been together, we've been getting into these rabbit holes and kind of ranting for like hours. So we might have to pull it back out here and let Carter hop on the mic here. So Carter, <laughs> what has life been like for you? What have you been up to, man, since the last podcast? What's up? It's been, it's been wild for me. Um, I, so I was on the podcast last in August, August of 2020. And now we are in end of April. Um, I think last time I was on the podcast, I was still a full-time accountant working in the business world with a, as a part-time strength coach. And since then that has absolutely flipped over and I'm a full-time strength coach these days. I, I think I actually made the jump probably, I think it was like a few days only after being on the podcast with you or after it was released. Um, I made, made the jump into the new, new industry full-time and it was, it was wild. It was an empowering experience. It was, uh, I mean, I left a quote unquote stable job. Um, you know, Nassim, Nassim Nicholas Tlaib would maybe argue what, what true stability is, but, uh, mm -hmm. but so I left that accounting st stable job for basically two unpaid strength coaching positions in the middle of a pandemic. And it was, uh, it was like, it was scary as shit. It was uh, nerve wracking, but I'm so grateful that I did because I've since had some really cool opportunities. I've been able to turn one of those internships into an actually paid coaching position, which has been awesome. Um, I landed a, a gig as the director of operations with a digital training company, basically, where my role is to produce content and produce online programming, online training resources for to serve our population of people. Um, and that is very much geared in the golf world and the golf training world. I got, I'm psycho about golf. I have an absolute passion for the game of golf. Um, and, and so life has been good. It's been, I, I wake up every day feeling very excited to do what I do and to learn and to grow and to work with the people that I work with on a daily basis. Um, it's, it's empowering working with athletes and trying to truly tap into a, others lives and, and help them grow and blossom in new ways. And that wasn't a feeling I was getting in the accounting world on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and so, and so to go a little deeper since, since leaving, um, leaving accounting in August, I was grateful enough to have an internship at, at the university of St. Thomas working under you coach Yoakum, um, as well as coach Stuart Bourne. And then uh, I've also picked up that job that I talked about at a private training facility here in, in Minneapolis that works primarily with high school baseball athletes called MASH. Um, and, then, and then that last role that I recently took on probably about three and a half months ago, four months ago, is with resistancebandtraining.com. And, and it's been, it has been a whirlwind. It's been busy and it's been exactly how I would want it to be. Well, you also forgot to mention that you're a part-time model for MASH too now, aren't you? <laughs> I, I got a, our, our, um, our content creator, man, I don't know what effects he's putting on these pictures, but I got to thank him. I got to get him like a nice Christmas present or a nice birthday present or something because yeah, he, he makes the veins come out of the skin a little bit, a little bit. A lot bigger. of vasculature. It looks great. <laughs> Carter, Carter's looking jacked on the Instagram. Yeah. Um, oh, but I do, I, I do want to take it into the, the, the mass route because Traditionally, I don't know about traditionally, but it looked like like your background had been all in the, the football world. Working with uh, working with the athletes that you trained, uh, you, you trained at our gym in the summer working with football athletes. You worked at St. Thomas working with football athletes and you worked with Stu with a couple other athletes. But MASH was seemed like your big your first big experience with non football athletes. And now you're getting into kind of the rotational world. What was that kind of like for you? And what was that kind of like the eye openers in that experience for you? It was awesome. So I, you're right. So I worked with football basically since my undergraduate degree up until September of 2020, I was pretty much, I mean, 80% football athletes. And then making that transition, I've always had a passion for rotational sports simply because of my passion for the golf game. I think it goes back to probably my senior year of college when I really started to dive into research and read research and get into reading books that I started to explore the golf movement and, and rotational power and rotational sports more in depth. And then 
now going to work at MASH and working under some of these very elite level coaches that have been working with baseball athletes for years and years and years, it's eye-opening to see and to, um, to learn from them how we should be going about training rotationally as compared to other sports, you know, baseball, golf, even pitching is very rotational and some of these other rotational movements, how we should go be going about training them as compared to other sports is pretty eye-opening. And it's, it's a very, it's something that I'm still trying to navigate on a daily basis. Um, and one big thing is a lot of people talk about rotation as being, you know, dangerous, quote unquote, they talk about, you know, we shouldn't rotate too much. It's bad for our spines. It's bad for this. And and we can get more into this in the future. I don't, I don't want to burn everything here, but I, so the golf community is, so I work a lot with golfers these days. And it's funny because golfers come in all shapes and sizes, all ages. I mean, that's what makes it almost tough, but also makes it really fun. You, one day you'd, you'll work with a 16 year old prodigy golfer who's going to be the next Tiger Woods. And the next day you work with like an 85 year old grandpa who struggles to stand up from his chair. And, and so it's, it's very eye opening, but it's just, I, the golf world, the golf training, in my opinion, it's very soft and we can get more into that, into that in later here. Um, but it's been, it's been a blast. It's been a blast getting into rotational sports. It's a true passion of mine and it has been for a long time. Well, I kind of want to take the reins off and I want to hear about the golf swing isn't soft. I want to, I want to hear you dive in because this has been, and I think Mark, Mark's kind of a golf geek too. I'm actually the, the least golf geek of this group by far. Love rotational athletes, love hitting nukes and slow pitch softball, but golf, man, I went to go golf last Wednesday. We, we got kicked out of our spot because of reservation type thing, but I was ready to hit a nuke, and, but I don't think I could actually hit a golf ball. I think it would be really, really bad, but we got two golf nerds on here. So I kind of want to dive into the golf world, the golf training, and Carter has been consistently posting your golf swing isn't soft. You shouldn't be either. And I kind of want to hear you expand on that theory. And I, I think, I think we can have you just take that and let the reins go and dive into that rabbit hole, Carter. Let's do it. So, so it's at the forefront, it's a stereotype that I'm trying to break is just that the golfing world If you golf, you're an athlete, in my opinion, the, the actual golf swing if we look at it from a qualitative or a quantitative lens, it's amongst the most impactful of all of sports. And I mean, we can look at the number and say like, like the force output is very similar to a baseball swing. The lead arm angular velocity of a golf swing is very similar to a knee kicking a soccer ball. The, the golf swing as a movement is as impactful and as stressful as so many other sporting movements, but it's not trained near the same intensity and near the same violence and stress. We don't train golfers to prepare them for the violent nature that their golf swing presents them. And, and, and now there are some people out there that are doing a really good job of it and are, are truly like strength training, power training, building robust movement systems and preparing their athletes for their sport of golf. But I think there's a lot that aren't. There's a lot of clamshells going on in the golfing world. There's a lot of light band payoff presses going on. There's a ton of glute activation exercises, and and let's qualify. I'll, I'll probably use some of those things here and there. It depends, obviously, right? But if your golf program is founded on clamshells as a glute activating exercise or as a strengthening exercise, your golfer is not going to be ready for the 116 mile per hour club head speed that they're going to generate 18 times or plus like 36 times, however many times they swing a club on Sunday. And so just trying to break stereotypes here, the golf swing isn't soft and your training shouldn't be either. If you truly, and, and something else that I talk a lot about is health and performance, trying to look at our training through both the health and the performance lens. Uh, on one hand, we want to boost our golf performance and we can do that, you know, by strength training, by power training, by building rotational abilities, increasing our anti-rotational strength, uh, a whole bunch of other areas of, of kind of that output base that we want to build in our training. When we build those outputs, we need, where was I going with that again? So when we build, when we, when we build those outputs, we need to transition them into our golf swings. And I just don't think, I don't think we're missing pieces uh, in the golf training world. A lot of pieces are going 
are, are left missing, whether it's in the building output side or whether it's in that expressing the output actually in the context of our swing side. And so just trying to break stereotypes here. Well, and I think that's very similar in a different route than if you, if you drop back to the American football world. And I was talking with Brady Vollmering last week about this is the football athlete comes in and is an expert in a lot of the barbell lifts. Like that's what they're truly experts in. They're not even experts in their sport of football. They're experts in force production through barbell lifts. And you see all the other aspects of their, their training kind of fall off. Even the aspect of the skill of football itself, like there's some guys that have no idea what's even going on in the field. And they just make up for that because they're, they, they produce so much output and their competition also ha- a lot of times has no idea what's going on on the field. Like the, 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 the PhD in the sport, like a lot of them just had the high school education in the sport itself of like this is where I'm supposed to line up and I got to go tackle, but like reading any of that. And now you have the, 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 the golf world where it's like, they are absolute PhDs in their actual golf swing itself. Like that's all you hear talk about is like skill work, skill work. I'm going to work on my swing. I'm going to hit it at this angle. I'm going to do this. And so now they have the PhD and it's very, very similar to baseball almost too. Like you hear these baseball athletes that can't deadlift 135 pounds, but they'll go in and talk about their launch angle. They'll go in and talk about, all right, we need to have our bat path this way. And all of that stuff is great. That that's a great part of training that I think the football world actually sucks at. But if you're missing leveling up the human athlete, leveling up the human organism, and you're missing that whole piece of it, then you're not going to get the results that you want. You can, you can have, you have the perfect golf swing as much as you want, but you're going to be missing such a huge piece. And it almost comes back to the law of diminishing returns a little bit of, you could put 20 more hours into that golf swing and perfecting it, or you could put an hour a day into this training that doesn't, and the training doesn't have to be soft, but it also doesn't have to be like, you don't have to start training like a power lifter for, I'm I'm sure for many golfers that you see, like, just any solid program that isn't based around clamshells, like is going to give them significant results that they didn't see before on the field. Oh yeah. No doubt about it. Mark, take it away. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a lot of points I wanted to make. Um, and I, I was actually going to tie it back. Same thing, Austin, um, with just, just training in general and kind of our training system and, and how we relate that to other sports. But first, because I didn't get to chime in after Carter's uh, intro, dude, I'm so fired up that you are uh, in this field now because your passion is, uh, is awesome. And it's just uh, radiating in this zoom call right now. And it just fires me up and uh, Thanks, boss. I'm, I'm excited it. to see what you do in the field. But yeah, going back to uh, the golf swing and just kind of thinking about the, the training into it and in uh, and, and the training system in general, it brought me back to thinking about actually Yoakum when you had Rafe Kelly on the podcast and just him talking about, you know, the, the adaptability of the human body and the way we train the body all the way to, you know, kind of how the organism adapts from a cellular level. So when you're in the weight room and you're training vertical nonstop and you're squatting heavy, you're deadlifting heavy, um, you know, your, your body is adapting to that stimulus all the way down to a cellular level. So even the way that your, your bones and your ligaments and all those things are adapting, it's getting very used to that vertical plane, that, that very specific movement and you're great at producing force in that one direction. Mm-hmm. When you get on the football field and you expose athletes to rotation and all these linear movements, and they're putting so much force into these different positions that you're not really training them at and their body's not adapting that way all the way down to that cellular level. Uh, you start to see the holes in that system and the injuries happen. Uh, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. So, um, that was kind of where I saw that tie in from a golf swing perspective too, because, um, and I, and I got to imagine the golf world is starting to catch up right now a little bit. You've got, um, guys that are changing the game for sure. And the numbers are starting to pick up and the metrics are starting to pick up. So I think that that's an exciting, uh, point to talk about in the golf world, but, uh, yeah, just from that swing standpoint, like it's a violent swing and, you have to train your system to adapt to that, to be able to do that consistently. Because, you know, when these guys are playing on a weekend tournament, you know, they should be training more so and at a higher stimulus than they will just over the course of those couple of days, because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a skilled swing, but it is a big physical violent movement. And, uh, so to see the golf world starting to flip and to prepare those athletes to take on uh, the demands of a golf swing like that without being at risk of injury or having to, you know, 
cut their career short or hurt their back in all those different ways. Uh, it's pretty exciting. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what you do there. And, and so circling back, circling back, because I, I like where we're going with this. Um, so what I was going to say earlier before I kind of lost track on mine started wandering on me a hundred miles a minute, I, I was going to say that so many golfers have this mis misconception that what the training that they enter or that they conduct to boost performance is going to minimize their health or, and vice versa. So if I train to boost my health, my golf performance might suffer. And that's just not true. Those two things very much can coincide and will lift one another up. And so doing plyometrics is going to boost our performance on the golf course. It's going to allow, it's going to give us higher contraction velocity, give us, um, you know, prepare attendance for the violent nature of the golf swing. It's going to boost us from a performance perspective, but doing plyometrics and, and velocity based training is also going to prepare us from a health perspective and have our bodies be ready for the demands that the golf swing offers. If we're not exposing ourselves to the stressors, and to the, to the stimuli that we're going to be seeing when we go play 18 on Sunday are not only is our performance going to suffer, but also our health and our longevity in the sport is going to suffer. And so, so the golf swing is not soft. Like we got to prepare our bodies accordingly from a physical preparation standpoint. And then also going back to Yoakum's point about the PhD in the sport and, and building outputs. And I think you're absolutely right that, a lot of golfers have have the ability. So, so I kind of think about it through the lens of like, are we building outputs or are we expressing outputs? Are, are we building the base? Are we building this physical capacity for movement? Or I should say this movement capability. And then do we have the movement capacity or do we have the ability to express those movements in the actual context of the sport? And I think that golfers have the ability to express, and this is very generalizing, obviously, but I think that in general, golfers have the ability to express their outputs very well for the most part. But it's like, well, what outputs are we drawing upon though? Where we're maximizing the outputs that we have. If we lift up those outputs and then learn to express them, we our golf swing is going to be lifted. And then that gets us into more questions of like, well, skill acquisition and what role do strength coaches play in skill acquisition and how can we best position our athletes to take those newfound outputs that we build in the weight room and learn to utilize them in the expression of the sport of golf or even outside the sport of golf, whatever it might be. If strength coaches are giving people, giving athletes these newfound outputs, what is the path to taking those outputs and actually learning to express them in the context of sport. Well, that was something that I kind of want to branch off with too, Carter, because I want to pose this question to you. You have this field that is in the most generalized way, approaching training in the soft way currently. They're approaching training of like, I'm just going to go out and golf. I'm just going to go and do this. And I'm going to miss that output piece that you mentioned. How are you going about creating buy-in with these golfers and creating the education, education is probably the biggest part of it is I need you to train this way. So it helps your golf swing. So it helps your health. Like what's the, what's the thought process going around? You're working with this population that hasn't trained like in the, in the football world, like it's, it's much easier. Like we're going to have them do some weird shit that they're not used to, but they're already a lot of times like into the the training world they're into doing crazy shit with the barbell but now they're going to do it on the ground and with their own body and with gymnastics you you are dealing with a population that seems to be completely different for the most part i shouldn't say all of them like there's there's some golfers that i've, I've heard on interviews i'm like that guy, that guy could play football for sure but oh God, yeah. yeah um but now you have this population that you're working with how what's the kind of thought process to get them to train the way that you because i feel like this is the biggest part get them to train the way that you know they need to train yeah it's it's developing that understanding and, and truly showing them how how stressful and impactful the golf swing actually is on their body so making them more aware of how they feel after a round of golf or after a long range session. If they're, if they're sore the next day, which a lot of golfers do get pretty sore the next day, it's like, it's like you're not just sore because you haven't golfed in a while and you decided to hit 50 balls that this playing a role, but it's also because the demands that this, that the golf swing is presenting you is very severe and it's, it's impactful. 
And I think that golf gets a misconception because of the aerobic piece of it, or I should say the lack of aerobic piece of it. You know, you can sit in a golf, you go a golf cart while you complete your round to hit 90 shots in a round over the course of four hours. And it's like, you're good to go. Most golfers aren't even going to warm up and stuff. It's like, they don't see the benefits of training because they're like, I don't need to train. I don't need to warm up. I just go play because there isn't that psychological aerobic demand or that there isn't the aerobic demand, which I think promotes, promotes less of a psychological stress on the athlete because they aren't, their heart rates aren't going up. They're not, they're not truly feeling like they're under this huge workload over the course of a round of golf, even though we got to look at it differently. And, and another thing that I do with a lot of my athletes is I say this weekend, when you watch the PGA tour and you watch these elite golfers swing a golf club, I want you to ask yourself and put yourself in their shoes and say, okay, if I was in his shoes and I had Justin Thomas's swing, what would I be doing to prepare for this tournament that he's in right now? What would I be putting myself through? Oh, I would do some, I would do some weight training. I'd probably do some strength training. You know, I would, I would practice a lot of golf, blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, well now understand that your golf swing isn't far off of that at all. Obviously he produces a higher club head speed. He produces much higher joint angular velocities, but his body is prepared for those angular velocities and your body isn't even prepared for your angular velocities that you're creating. And so we need to, we need to build that preparation piece in order to match it. And then not only is that preparation going to solve the, the stress or the impact that your golf swing presents, but it's also going to allow you to increase your movement capacity and increase your golf swings capacity to potentially expand that performance level. And Mark, you, you mentioned in the, the intro kind of talking about the evolutionary approach to training and how you're diving into leveling up the organism holistically to be able to draw upon some of these evolutionary approaches to training. What are your thoughts on the, the, the golf training world and how you can implement some of the, the rabbit holes that you're currently in into the, the kind of golfers world and the golf performance world? Yeah, I would say, I would say just the, the connection between health and performance just across any sport. I mean, golf is one of my favorite sports and absolutely sport. And the, the guys out there on the weekends are great athletes. And, uh, like kind of what, what Carter was talking about, you, you break down golf. And I think a lot of people look at it as, um, you know, it's just a skill sport and the training behind golf is just a skill acquisition, uh, type of game. Um, but when you kind of break down, you know, a pyramid of an athlete skill acquisition is going to be your top tier, right? Like that's going to be the thing that we want to acquire once we've built a great foundation. So, um, when you just look at athletes in general and, and the development of an athlete, I think you need to, to really take into account what is their foundation in terms of, uh, their athletic development and what's their, their kinesthetic awareness that they've developed over the course of their lifetime. And I think, um, you know, maybe we're starting to lose that a little bit in today's day and age, just how easy it is to specialize in sports right off the bat. Um, and golf is definitely one of those sports where you, you get in early, um, and just kind of build your skill throughout. But, um, I'm sure that that piece of just kind of the foundational development, the, the health within it is, is lacking a little bit, but yeah, I think there's a lot there. Carter, were you going to say something? Um, yeah, I just wanted to go into that a little more, like the skill acquisition piece of it, because, because you're right. Like I think skill acquisition, all we're talking about building outputs and we're talking about building the, the physical capacity, but it's important to note that the physical capacity, that stuff doesn't overtake the skill acquisition piece. It doesn't overtake the, um, the actual playing the game of golf. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I always, I always talk about, I have uh, the three pillars of golf success. Uh, number one, it's health. If you own an underlying foundation of health, nothing that we do is going to maximize our potential. Number two is technical. Do you actually have the ability to swing a golf club? Do you have the technical capabilities to have an efficient and effective golf swing? And then the final pillar, the third one is physical. And then and tapping into newfound levels of physical success and the, and those outputs that we keep talking about. But, but one thing I want to dive into too that you just said is is the skill acquisition piece. And one one book that I'm reading right now is Nonlinear Pedagogy in Skill Acquisition, which is awesome, an awesome book. And 
one thing that they talk about is is the concept of degeneracy, which in biological terms means the fact it's it basically is an over-encompassing term for the fact that our neurobiological systems are unreal complex, that we will complete an action or we will achieve a result in very different ways, but the result will be the same. Mm-hmm. A lot of paths lead to Rome, essentially, is what it's saying from a neurobiological standpoint. And so and so finding ways to express outputs like i i, I kind of posed the question earlier of like well where do strength and conditioning coaches come into that skill acquisition piece and i think it comes into teaching athletes how to utilize their outputs and giving them movement variability and exposing them to as many stressors as possible putting them in situations forcing them to utilize their outputs and learn how to utilize their outputs because this is, and this is another, this is something I really struggle with in the golf world. And I'm about to like totally degrade my value in the golf world. But so here's one, here's another question that I pose and that I think about a lot is, and let's say X golfer lacks the ability to rotate their thoracic spine by lacking Sorry, let's say that they have the ability to rotate. They lack the ability to rotate their thoracic spine, which means that they can't promote hip and shoulder separation in the backswing. They can't load the proper muscles. They can't increase their acceleration window. Their golf swing might be limited. And so is the issue is the issue that they simply don't know, they don't have the physical ability to, to rotate their thoracic spine? Or if I send them with a golf coach, Will after an hour session, will that golf coach simply help them tap into their thoracic spine rotation abilities? Do you get what I'm saying? So it's this issue that I keep coming back to is like, well, do they actually lack the ability or simply have they not tapped into their ability to express the ability in the context of their golf swing? Mm-hmm. And so trying to trying to figure out like, do we need these, do we need these physical outputs or should you just go to a golf coach and they'll help bring the current, your current physical outputs out of you? Do we need to expand your movement capabilities or do you have the movement capabilities? We just need to work on your movement capacity or your ability to actually tap into those movements in the context of the sport. And, and then that's where I think shrinking condition to rat to bring this in full circle. I feel like I'm all over the place, but to bring it full circle, I think strength coaches can have a really big role and sports performance coaches can have a big role in helping golfers and helping athletes utilize their outputs and, and learn how to utilize their outputs by exposing them to new and different stimuli, new stressors, new environments, forcing them to perceive, perceive various environments and adapt their movement in different ways, trying to build that adaptability, trying to find that, expose them to high levels of that degeneracy and forcing the neurobiological systems to utilize their complexity and and find similar results throughout that complexity. Well, that that's one thing. If you expand to all of the best athletes that you watch, and this this is one of the coolest things, like you can find out if he's a good athlete is how quickly does he pick up on a new skill? How quickly is he able to learn a new skill? How quickly is he able to kind of react re, react to the learning environment that he's placed in? You all have an athlete that. Uh, somebody like myself, like I, I consider myself a slow movement learner. I have a lot of outputs. Um, I work really hard in a lot of things I do to make up for those capacities, but I would not consider myself a great athlete, a great natural athlete where you'll put a different athlete in that situation and he naturally picks, picks things up. So like I will have a uh, gymnastics. This is why I like to implement the gymnastics route of things because you know, you'll have the best athletes. They'll be able to quick pick something up like that. And like, two sessions. Like, and it'll take somebody like me a month to learn that same exact movement and to be able to teach that to them and they'll pick it up. And the way I kind of look at it is like, you look at this neural mapping of movements and it's much easier to expand your map, to expand a map of an already known or just similar situation. You, you have a map of most of the area. Now you're going to expand that map just a little bit to the right, just a little bit to the left, to shine light on just a little bit of the area rather than creating an entire new map, which is a lot of athletes, you're putting them in a, they've never been in anything similar at all. And now it's creating an entire map from that new, it's like putting them on a new continent. Uh, it's a, they have to learn everything. Their, their entire surroundings is completely different. And now they have to learn it all rather than 
they've been here, they've been here, they've been here. This is similar here. All right, let's just expand the light here that opens up. And that's where you start to see kind of a light bulb moment of this leads to this, this leads to this, this leads to that. And same in the golf world of you put an athlete that isn't a quick learner, you put an athlete that doesn't have a big neural mapping already. And everything that he does has to be brand new to him. Everything that he does has to take a long time to kind of get exposed to rather than the athlete that has that huge neural mapping. And it's like, all right, you tell him to do this. And it's awkward at first. There's a little bit of disconnect at first, but it's like, oh, okay. My coach put me in this situation in the weight room here. This is how I rotated in that situation. It's not quite the same, but all right, been kind of there. Okay, that makes sense. And then you get to see it exposed much quicker. Yeah, I think those are uh, are both great points. And I've seen some of like the parallel even within the, the chiropractic and rehab world because um, kind of like what both of you guys are saying, Carter, you're talking about thoracic mobility and having a, a, a golfer, an athlete come into you and what you're trying to do from your standpoint is address their limiting factors. And you're trying to communicate with them, trying to find what those limiting factors are for them. Um, and you're just trying to to make them aware of what their capacity could be. Um, and then you're putting them in an environment that says, you know, you might be, you might have a bias right now saying that this is my capacity. This is as far as I can go. And it's not necessarily that they're, you know, anatomically limited that they can't reach that range of motion. It just takes a golf coach saying, Hey, let's work on this technique. Let's create a new environment. Um, and they find that they're able to reach that capacity. So you're trying to do that through, through your training and same thing with Yoakum. It's like, you've got these athletes that have this neural map and you're just trying to shine some light on some of the, the middle ground in the middle. Um, and it's the same thing in the rehab world. It's like, you see, you see patients come in and whether it's range of motion, whether it's an exercise, whether it's, uh, some fear avoidance, like ultimately you're trying to communicate to these athletes, these people that, your capacity to do certain tasks, certain movements is greater than you think it is. And if you can knock out some of their, you know, if you can and really get down to the root cause of like, what, what do they think their limiting factors are? What are they, what are they avoiding? Because maybe they're scared. Maybe they've had a previous injury. Maybe they think they're going to get hurt. Um, you know, how do you, how do you lock in on some of those, those limiting factors and communicate to that athlete, to that patient that, you know, you're capable of doing this, you're adaptable and able to get into these positions. Now you just got to find the environment that best suits them and, and makes it a uh, applicable and enjoyable process for them to start chipping away at those things. And with that, uh, we kind of get into the, into the rabbit holes on this podcast. And I love recently trying to draw back into the real, and we talk about these learning environments and we talked about exposing them to different situations. But Carter, I'm interested in how you actually go about doing that. Cause I've seen you've been super interested and I love this, how you've been posting this, but how you're, you're, you're focusing on a lot of segmentation in your training. And it, it is, it seems different. It's like you're, you're, you're loading the ability to get your upper body and lower body to rotate separately, which is way different. And, and I mean, you'll have, you'll put a football athletes through a lot of these motions too. And it's funny. It's like their first time being in and they fucking break. It's like, Oh, my ribs cramp. Like you have all these different situations. How are you going about in real life, exposing them to these different situations and some of the things that you are having them do that you hope to expand to the golf world and, and in, kind of tangible exercises, tangible things that you're looking for in your training with these golf athletes? So it's about progressing them into these, these new movements and exposing them to them. And it's very athlete dependent. You know, I, I had one guy who recent collegiate graduate, he was a collegiate athlete for a couple of years. So his movement capability was already fairly high. He was very eager to explore different positions. He was eager to challenge himself in new ways and so for us like we uh, we went at, like we took that and we ran with it so we started doing med ball rotations we started doing down dog rotations and trying to basically just find different ways to either pin the shoulders or the hips in a certain position and rotate around that pin and by doing that, we can elicit that that hip shoulder segmentation trying to build levels of spinal rotation because Spinal rotate a lot. Of, a lot of golf coaches, and and I, I don't know how I feel about this yet. So I'm not going to make any like direct claims. But a lot of golf coaches talk about 
keeping the spine stable and then rotating around the spine. And just thinking about that, I'm just, I just think that it doesn't quite make sense to me because I'm like, well, the spine rotates. Like if my shoulders are facing backwards and my hips stay facing forwards, what, what else is going to rotate that's connecting the two? And so, and so I struggle with that notion. And so a lot of golf coaches, and, and I'm even certified in one place that teaches, keep the lower back locked. Don't let it, don't let it rotate at all. You can rotate through your thoracic spine, but not the lower back. And I'm, I'm like, well, okay, they're connected though, dude. Like they, they, every, every joint, every spinal segment is built to rotate. Like the lower back does much less. It only like one to two degrees. I think at each joint is what they say. So it's much less, but why can't we expose athletes to those levels of rotation to prepare them? Because you think the lower back just doesn't rotate in the golf swing because it does, it rotates probably pretty heavily actually at different points of the swing. And it obviously depends on your swing. But so anyway, back to the question though, is slowly progressing athletes into these higher levels of segmentation and spinal rotation. So let's start off by passively placing them in that position. We can do uh, open books or we can do like a kneeling wall windmill, trying to use gravity or use a band or some kind to pull themselves into higher levels of spinal rotation, showing them like, yeah, dude, like you can achieve this position. You can get there. Then from there, we, we need to activate it though. How can you actively pull yourself into levels of segmentation? Can you actively find levels of segmentation as we're doing different movement drills, as we're doing, you know, karaoke's or as we're crawling, as we're hanging, as we're doing things, can you actively pull yourself into levels of segmentation? Then once, and this isn't a linear process, this is a very non-linear process, jumping from one to the next, to the next, back and forth. But, and then from there, we need to somehow load the segmentation. So adding some sort of tension, trying to simultaneously build a core stability and, and activate our like tension development system while simultaneously building that segmentation. And so med ball rotations are awesome. Or the one that I just posted the other day where I don't even have a name for it, but like where I'm basically on all fours, quadruped, hugging a med ball. And I try and bring my right leg up and over top of my left behind me and just exploring different positions basically while under some sort of tension driven load. And because the golf swing is really interesting because on, on one hand, it's very, um, flow like it's very anti-tension you know we need a lot of high levels of mobility and we want to kind of utilize the whip effect and the and and the the summation of speed principle to truly generate club head speed but what happens internally or what happens at our core is actually there are varying levels of tension that happen during the swing trying to pass force up the kinetic chain and and allow it to reach the club trying to maximize that club head speed and so and so that's where the feel versus real discussion comes in. We don't need to get into that really, but just like what's actually happening versus what, you, what are you feeling and how can we train for what's actually happening, but not change what you're feeling during the swing, if that makes any sense. No, I, that, was, that was a great, that might have been the best rant yet, Carter. That was great. <laughs> I, I love the whole start of it too, because I mean, I mean, that's the whole like anti-fragile approach that all of, all, I think all three of us are on the same page on. It's like, it's like, don't rotate your lower back. It's like, you don't even know what you're saying there. Like, you don't even know, you're just saying that almost to say it like, because the lower back, there, there's injuries with the lower back and associated with this. So you're going to say something to try and protect the lower back. It's like, you're not even understanding what's happening at the body. It's almost like you, you're trying to be blind to it, to say a cue that is just going to try and create a robot and you're going to try and outsmart what the body's naturally doing anyways. It's going to lead to way more injuries than approaching it in a way that you're approaching it. And the, the point that I really wanted to make was people, the biggest question, not the biggest, but one of the biggest questions I get is like, how do you come up with exercise selection? And that, that, that's something that I thought your rant was really cool about is your, your exercise selection is created by looking at the sport and trying to accomplish a task rather than looking at trying to pick an exercise first and then tying it into the task. And I think that's something that you, you kind of broke down really nicely is that you're, you're looking to accomplish something and then you came up with a task or exercise or way to load that thing that you're looking to accomplish. And that's how you created that exercise that somebody hasn't seen before. That's how you created kind of the program holistically in a way that people haven't seen before. And I just wanted to touch on that because that's a big question. I like coach will say like, well, how'd you come up with that? What's this like, 
it, it's almost like that backwards thought process of like, you want to see the exercise and you want to see how you apply that exercise to your program. But that's, that's not the way that it should be approached. It should be approached in a way of you have a task that you want to accomplish. You have something you want to expose your athletes to and organically an exercise, organically a program, organically a movement comes out of that because you're trying to accomplish a goal. Yeah, no, I agree. And I like that. I mean, I feel like that's how a lot of programming happens and it's all, it's, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of it is exploration based. Like if we're crawling, I'm, you know, tell your athlete to, okay, we're going to crawl, but I want you to crawl as goofy as you possibly can. All of a sudden they're moving and you see just like one sudden instant of like, Oh wait, I kind of like that position that you just found right there. That was, that was applicable. And so then you try and repeat that and you say, okay, well, can we push that a hair further? Can you try and move your leg an inch further that way? Yeah, I like that. Okay, now finish out the crawl. And it's like, and then coming back to it and trying to be like, okay, well, now what if we try this with it? And 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 so I think that the exploration piece to knowing like what you're trying to look for in an exercise or or having you know, we talk about athletes having a PhD in the sport. Well, I guess like strength coaches having a PhD in the movement or, or what they're trying to look for in their athletes' movement patterns and, and then exploring until your athletes find them themselves would be honestly probably ideal, but that doesn't happen all the time. And sometimes, you know, we need to actually pro- program be like, okay, now we're going to go for this, we're going to go for this. But in an ideal world, they'll probably, they're probably exploring to find the position that you're seeking. And, and if you are a good enough coach, or if you are um, really trying to push your athletes towards that exploration, hopefully they can direct themselves to find it. And it's almost like a, you, we talk about the athletes being aware, but it's also like you as a coach need to be aware of what you're watching there too. And mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the cool things too, with the exploration piece and how uh, you, you talk about like a crawl. One of the cool things is like you are almost exploring as a coach of how, how many pieces can you put in front of the athlete to create something new? Because you, you have your crawl series that we've done before. We've had crawl variations. And then on the other side of things, which is almost, it seems more rigid is like we have our eight vector side of thing that you take from Bobby Stroop. You have your eight vectors to be able to explore in. And then you do something cool. Like you combine an eight vector thing with the crawl variation. And now you have an eight vector crawl where you have to explore within these eight vectors in this crawl position. And then you have even more like positions starting to create themselves. And that's like, like you mentioned, like organically as a coach yourself, your program is evolving, your exercises are evolving by exploring different routes of things in different kind of directions that you have the eight vector that is a very order based and you have the crawl variation, which is very chaos based. And you combine them too into this kind of brand new organic learning environment for your athlete. Yeah. You guys are spot on. And and it's one of the fun things that I get to kind of sit back and watch from a distance and experience with you guys both, but in your training, the way you incorporate play, the way you incorporate exploration, the way you incorporate creativity kind of those pillars of your guys' training system, I think is so beneficial for athletes because, you know, when you just think about kind of going back to that evolutionary approach, as you're developing as an athlete, as a, as a human, having that explorative piece and that creative piece is such an important concept just when it comes to, you know, the the nervous system and being able to really connect, you know, that neuromusculoskeletal, uh, you know, synergy between everything and uh, developing that from kind of the, the cortex standpoint of your brain and being able to, to fire those signals to your body and, and be able to calculate and make decisions and do things fast and efficiently um, is so important. And then even tying that into the golf swing, you know, like the more, the more dynamic and kinesthetically aware athlete you have, I think the better obviously any athlete, but even within golf. And I think people look at golf and you just look at the golf swing and you see it as this very robotic, this very, you know, so, so skilled and so perfect each and every time, which no doubt it is, but even within the golf swing, you're going to have movement variability throughout each and every hit, you know, no swing is going to be the exact same you know, the, the lie of the ball is going to be different. Your stance is going to be different. Your position is going to be different. Your angle is going to be different. So there's, there's all these, there's all this variability within a golf swing too, that I don't think people appreciate enough. And 
if you develop athletes that have this full overall awareness that, that comes from a lot of creativity and exploration and training, I think that carries over to the game of golf so well, because there are so many, there's, it, it's such a creative game, you know, and I don't think people appreciate that a lot, but man, you, you watch these guys on Sundays and some of the, the shots that they hit and the positions they get into and the, and just being creative in the shot making decisions is, is such a big piece of the game. It's not just, it's not a robotic game at all. Yeah. That, that was awesome. That was awesome, Mark. Actually, that was so sick. Um, but because, because I agree because it's so, and, and, the golf swing and this goes back to kind of the idea of like degeneracy but and we can also bring in the element of the environment and of perceiving the environment like the ecological dynamic framework of of well our movement our actions within the environment are context dependent so like my movement is based on the environment uh, based on my perception of the environment i should say because then that gets into kind of the like the objective subjective framework. And this was something I, I, I explored a little bit like recently, but so uh, objectively, no matter the sport, whether it's golf, obviously we were talking about golf, so I'll probably relate it to golf, but objectively the environment presents you something, the environment presents you, whether you are there or not, the environment presents you something, but then subjectively, your perception of the environment is going to affect your movement. It's going to affect the way that you interact with the environment. And then further, the decisions you make and the movement that you conduct will further affect your perception of the environment. And, and so it's this like objective subjective relationship and trying to understand it more fully to adapt our training as sports performance coaches is, is something that I continually try to, explore in my mind and explore with my athletes and exposing them to forcing them to perceive various environments, trying to, trying to tap into those, trying, just trying to tap into that, expose them to so many different stimuli that when they are on the golf course and presented other stimuli and they're forced to perceive environments, they're going to be equipped to handle it. Um, and then Mark, in regards to your adaptability or your uh, like the golf swing is adaptable and it's different. And I totally agree. And that's where uh, Austin Harrington's podcast that he just released today with, I, I don't remember the golf coach's name, uh, Mike, Michael, something, Michael, uh, we'll, we'll find it. But just sent it. Yeah, it was, it's awesome. And he talked about teaching golfers how to basically play. Did you get it? What was the name? Yeah. Michael Hebron or Hebron. Yeah. Yeah. And it was awesome because he talked about teaching golfers how to play and basically find tap into variability within their swing to then explore and find repeatability. Kind of, That's how I think about it is like the most successful golfers in the world, in my opinion, and I don't know if this is true or not, but the most successful golfers in the world, I think it's not that they repeat the same golf swing over and over and over again. It's that they tap into the same results over and over and over again, and they do so in adaptable and variable ways. So their mm -hmm. body and their neurobiological system is so adaptable and so prepared to take on different stimuli, different environments, different competition, different emotions, different hormones, different everything that's going on. They're so well equipped to take on these things. And then they produce similar results because of that prepare preparation and preparedness. Yeah. Carter, that's sick. That, that was dope. I mean, that, that, that's the whole Dr. Tom and John thought process. Uh, we talked about this last week on the podcast too, but it's like, you got to level up your human organism enough to where there's the, the level of stimulus that's coming in through competition, the level of stimulus that's coming in through the course, like whatever it is, like it's not going to break down because you, your level of human organism, your level of being a golfer is so high that doesn't matter how high that stimulus gets, it's not going to break it down. It's not going to bring you down. It's not going to affect your performance. And I think that's something that I think all three of us are on the same page with, but I, I think we need to do more of these round table talks is what I'm getting at. I, I thought this was phenomenal. I thought we geeked out Absolutely. on the golf swing. So thank you guys for being on. Yeah, man, this was a blast. It was fun. We'll definitely do it again. Yeah. I, I appreciate you guys going in depth here in the world of golf, man. Yeah. I'm always proud. Uh, <laughs> sounds like we got to get Yoakum on the golf course here soon. I need to get on a so. golf course. And the the more, like every time Carter got excited and you got to hear his voice chime up, I'm like, oh, we're, we're going to get some gas here. But yeah, yeah. Thank, you. <laughs> thank you guys for being on. 
Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.